Welcome, Wheatland family and friends. Thanks so much for joining us. You are listening to Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. I'm Luke LaDuke, senior pastor here at Wheatland. And as always, I am joined by Chief Inquisitioner and co-host Dan Spanger. Dr. Spanger is professor of history at Lancaster Bible College and an elder here at Wheatland Presbyterian Church. We are continuing to dig into our current sermon series entitled The Lost Sons from Luke 15. We're asking more questions while exploring the side roads, dirt paths, and even some uncharted territory that we find ourselves in along the way. In this episode, we consider the fifth sermon from Luke 15 over verses 22 to 24, and we talk about what the Father is doing with the feast that he gives. We touch on the challenge of hearing a parable told to a very different context, the real focus of the celebration, the role that eating and drinking has in the scriptures broadly, and then we take a long and winding detour into a discussion about how the church applies this parable, particularly into the context of current tensions surrounding racial injustices. And that detour leaves us determined to devote an entire episode or two to that whole discussion in the near future. So, friends, again, welcome to the conversation. Thanks for coming along. This week, um, I don't know if you're feeling it this way, but I think you've gotten us on the edge of our pews quite, um, quite appropriately. That we are now, we are poised, ready for redemption. Right? We've you've been unpacking this story of loss, the story of rebellion, the story of identity. Um, it's a story of pragmatics and practicality of self. Um, you know, I don't know, um, self pursuit. And now we've finally gotten to the point where we're starting to frame this redemption. And I think what you were doing this past Sunday, if I can read it right is you were helping us, first of all, in the first set to understand what exile really is. What, what is it actually? But now we're starting to learn what redemption is actually um, when we come back to the Father. And you used a lot about this community restoration. So I'm, I'm guessing that one of the things you're, you're picking at is this tendency of evangelicals to, tr- to constantly see redemption as a very individualistic, narrow, this is how we got out of the pigsty. And that's sort of as far as the story goes. I came to Jesus because now I'm not in the pigsty anymore. You're saying in this parable, it's just not sufficient. Yeah, and I think I, again, I found these podcasts so helpful because you'll say things that will enlighten my enlightenment. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> like I'll, I'll have said something in a sermon and then you'll say, oh, well, what about it? And so I say that to say what you said in our podcast last week about um, necessary but not sufficient. Mm. I, I think that's a helpful little phrase to get at what led me, uh, the, the way I was thinking about trying to communicate what going from forgiveness through forgiveness, I think I might've said into restoration and mm-hmm. what that looks like more holistically. So mm-hmm. yeah, the individual aspect of the son's repentance and his, his um, embrace of the father is absolutely necessary, but there mm-hmm. was more that had to be done. It wasn't sufficient for the sort of reconciliation that the father had intended. 
in, in, in all of those relationships. There. And where, yeah. where this gets even bigger is you, you really were drawing in something that I think us as moderns would not automatically pick up on was the communal aspect of this, because it mm -hmm. seems like, and the way I've always tended to read it is you got the son comes back, the dad's happy. And you guys background cast characters, right? There are probably some servants in the house and people, and they just need to be there. So the stage isn't empty, right? You got, you know, two guys just sitting over a, a boiled, a boiled calf. Right. But the way you're talking about it is that in the moment you bring the son back, the whole community be, is restored in the process or some, mm. or, or is, is the father teaching the community what restoration looks like? I mean, is that, that the breadth of restoration seems to grow here in your telling of it? Yeah. And I think, I think that's where this um, New Testament scholar, Kenneth Bailey has been so helpful is um, he was, he was a scholar who grew up in the middle East and um, was mm. fluent in Arabic and, and really um, said, look, friends, this story has a thousand plus year history in the Christian mm. Arabic community. And here's how it would have been read and understood in a community that would have been very similar to the community that Jesus is telling this parable about. Mm. And, and so, yeah, that idea that if you are reading this primarily just about the son and not about the family and the community, you are missing what Jesus is doing. And uh, so, so I, I found that that emphasis on the community, like you said, is one of the parts that is just hard for us to grasp mm -hmm. um, based on our own context where we are, yeah, primarily concerned with our own guilt and mm -hmm. our own shame as individuals, which, is, which are, again, necessary, mm -hmm. but not mm -hmm. sufficient for all that God is doing. Mm -hmm. And actually don't fit into Israel's story of redemption alone. I mean, there has to be more. So you've brought us in, into that by, I think, partly talking about the sacrifice of the, of the calf being, a, mm -hmm. being a, a costly, it's a costly sacrifice, Father. Maybe, maybe Jesus tying back into the sacrifice of the Old Testament. So we're supposed to see this, including our own redemption. But I think, too, with the communion service, and if that's, that's where we experience a sacrifice, these things are meant then to be lived out. It's not just Jesus saying, hey, there's some good morals. This is an Aesop fable, but this in a sense needs to be our life, right? And I mm. think the power of parables, right, is that Jesus is not just giving us some distant theology, but he's actually somehow calling us into this moment to celebrate with the woman and her coins and celebrate mm -hmm. with the father. So how, how, how Luke, in your, in your thinking, do we live this out? How do we, how do we take this orthodoxy and turn it into orthopraxy? Yeah, and I think that's precisely, so it starts with, I think, hearing it more fully than perhaps we have mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. And that's why I wanted to take the time and walk through this uh, a couple verses at a time and really sit with it and maybe, uh, you know, maybe say some things that are uncomfortable and not everyone um, agrees with right in that moment, but, but to let it develop and let us to see, is there more to it? than what we've, what we've always done. So I think that's where we begin. But I also uh, think uh, <clears throat> being able to see that this parable is not simply about this family, um, but it's, it's, it really is a parable about the kingdom of God as Jesus tells it and what he's doing in the world with his people and with uh, his, 
Israel, starting with, because he's talking to scribes and Pharisees, but then, of course, how that just continues to expand into the promise of Abraham um, for all the nations who will embrace Jesus. So, um, but yeah, being able to walk through and say, okay, this is not just about this family and a picture of redemption and reconciliation for an ancient Near Eastern or, or a first century Near Eastern family, but this is about the kingdom of God. And how can we begin to start being reflective in our own particular time and place, um, finding ourselves as part of this story as God's people here in, in, in on this corner. And I, I use that phrase a lot on this corner, maybe maybe ad nauseum for some people, but I'm trying to say this has import right here. So, and, that, and there, there becomes one of the difficult things I find with it, with going through what you, you're walking us through. And that is, I don't live in the Middle East. I don't, I don't see my community. So, oh, there's almost a sense in which if you want to live out the theology of Christ, you're going to have to start living a medieval lifestyle, a Middle Eastern lifestyle mm. where family has this sort of import. And I think we can start make cultural assumptions about, well, it's far better to live in a community than where, you know, we celebrate this way or what, which yeah. is sort of missing the point in one sense. Um, those cultures have their own internal problems. And I think we all feel that like a father right. that traditionally would reject their kid forever. Okay. I, I don't know. I don't, I want to live in a society like that. Right. So in one sense, we're not, you're not saying what we should do is, is try to recreate Middle Eastern Semitic lifestyles here. Right. So how do we then like in my care group or, mm. you know, if I come into church on a Sunday morning or I get a text that one of my, mm. my Christian brothers, how does my, maybe some sense, how does my redemption actually become a gift for my community? How does, how does what God has done for me? How do I actually see that as a restoration of my community and not just I'm saved and therefore I'll try to get you saved you know, which I think sometimes the evangelical approach to all of this, but how do I actually see more fully me coming to Christ and his mercy to me actually becomes a gift to my community. It, it helps me to rebuild my community. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think it's a, it's a huge question. Yeah. Um, sorry to put you on the spot there. No, no, that's, that's fine. But I do think, I think it starts with seeing that there is this communal aspect. And of course, you don't want to trace it back to, okay, this is a one-to-one -one correlation. So sure. we need to have a fatted calf uh, <laughs> somewhere here Our on the campus at all times. Our caregiver is woefully behind on that one. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's slaughtered calves uh, Friday night. The last time we just had spaghetti and that's, you know, <laughs> right. but um, I, I, of course it's not that, but it is um, pulling back to see that there is this communal aspect and this aspect of celebration and eating together mm -hmm. that it, there is, yeah, there is no way to get around the central role of eating and celebration and communion with one another in God as somehow at the very central mm. center of what it means to be the people of God. Of course, you know, you could go into some crazy places with that. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's been done, but there's no way to read the scriptures and not see that even, even Jesus himself comes eating and drinking as a Messiah mm. and is accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. Mm. And partly because of what we're reading these uh, about in the accusation from the scribes and Pharisees that he ate with sinners. Right. 
Um, so I just think we have to really reckon with that and say there are some things that transcend robes and sandals and fatted calves right. and that are fundamental to the story, hmm. that the world doesn't end with a whimper or a bang, but it ends in the joy and laughter of a wedding feast. Hmm. That hmm. it begins, you know, so the, those sorts of things are at the, and then I think we can sort of put that as a, foil or use the pandemic that we've been through as a foil to think about the ways in which um, I'm, I'm getting off track here now, but the ways in which our quarantine, our isolation over this past year have, have struck right at the heart of that mm. story yeah. in a sense. And, and it's no surprise to me at one level now I'm really getting far afield, but this is what this podcast is. <laughs> That's for. what it's for. No You'll script, do just talk. You can do it all, all you right. want here. But, but so then it becomes no surprise to me. I, I mean, it's deeply surprising, but then at one level, it's no surprise that we are facing some of the, some of the greatest polarization within a community that we've ever experienced, no matter where you are, you know, um, however your church has fared. And I have pastor friends across the country in our denomination whose some churches have fared better, some churches have fared worse, but everyone's been touched. Right. It's no surprise to me that at, at the moment when um, we're at our most divided is also at the moment when we're at our most isolated. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, yeah, there's something to this. And I think and, there's something, yeah, because I, I think what, what the, and we've talked about this, of course, nothing new, but in one sense, the redemption is, if it's moralistic and very narrow, um, it, it just, it just feels like you're, you're just trying not to sin, mm -hmm. but there's something very full here to say that if you're redeemed and saved, that's actually a call to celebrate. It's a call to mourn. It's a call to community. Um, because yeah, I think if, if, it, if an evangelical revivalist pe preacher would have told the story, it'd been very different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there would have been there would have been mm -hmm. a just as I am. There would have been a, a all heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And <laughs> and the sun would have held up his hand, <laughs> yeah. and then and then he would have gone out and and been yelling at other people for for sinning also and mm -hmm. going with girls that do and that kind of thing. But but it this story ends like you said with a with a dinner celebration. Um, yeah. And th this leads me to another question I had uh, for you, Pastor, and that is that. Um, it seems like some of your focus has been on the family. Maybe you just hinted at this before, but mm. like, like Jesus is trying to recraft the view of family. Like families don't do what they do. This is what a real family does. But yeah. in one sense, you're not really talking just about what families do, right? This yeah. is, this belongs to something bigger. Yeah. This is not about Jesus uh, restructuring the nuclear family, uh, <laughs> mom and dad this and 2.5 kids yes. <laughs> or whatever it is. This is not days. Dodson from the from the first century or something. No, no, absolutely Focus not. Focus on the family in Jesus style. Right. Um, no, this is about the kingdom of God. Um, and this is about like, this is about expanding the family to mean all of those to whom Christ has come and is bringing into his kingdom. And so, yeah, I think I could use kingdom almost mm. interchangeably mm. with family mm. or mm. people of God interchangeably with family. Um, so as I see 
as I and and I think even even in the text, I when I see family or servants, I feel, I'm thinking more of that broader household that stands for God's kingdom, hmm. who and and surprising who's included, and um and and who's around that table and who is part of the restoration, um hmm. in, in especially in our text. From now that somewhere. now that that's significant because if what if what Jesus is doing is recrafting the way the Jews would have understood family or excuse me, kingdom, right. Or would have understood right. nationhood or would have understood mm-hmm. what the eschaton or what the real promise was. I mean, this is almost recrafting that promise to Abraham in some way, much larger than probably even the Jews would have imagined it. Yeah. And I think, <clears throat> you know, so this Sunday is um, Palm Sunday and this is uh, it was, it, you know, we call it the triumphal entry, but uh, I think every time I come back to read Luke's account of it, I am struck by the central feature of it, of this triumphal entry, is Jesus pulling the donkey over to the side of the road, looking over Jerusalem and weeping hmm. that they don't know the time of their visitation. Hmm. So uh, how often would I have gathered you under my wings as a hen gathers her young but you would not and Mm -hmm. and yeah i think this is part of that it's and and in fact jesus sort of in in luke 15 he's on his way he's headed towards jerusalem at, at at one level he's already headed that way but um yeah a challenge at every turn for israel to expand their view of the kingdom and what God is doing rather than to tightly control it. And, and, and it must meet and fit their expectations because Jesus was the King coming in, but he was a King who would not do what he, what was demanded of him. Right. Right. And then I, and I think there's a lot of power in that because the, you know, if we, if we take this narrowly and say, well, you know, if you're a really good dad, you'd do this. Mm-hmm. You forget that he's creating such an expansive view of the kingdom and what salvation and redemption looks like that I think probably, and I don't know if I'm fair in saying this, Luke, probably is a bit offensive to us as well, or almost as difficult to swallow it. Because I can understand being a good dad that way. That's how modern dads work. But I don't know if I can see a kingdom that's that open or a kingdom that mm. still upholds the righteousness of God, but has this kind of grace. And I think we all struggle to figure out what a kingdom like that looks like. I can get a family. I really struggle to see a kingdom that works that way. Yeah. Yeah. It is just a challenge to us at every level. Right. I want to do some change gear a little on you here. And this is... um, I warned you ahead of time, just because I had a, a concern or a question at the end of, as you were talking about the implications of all of this for how we live in community and what problems we're seeing in our culture. You brought up the issue of race, which is a very important issue, um, the dimensions of which are not worth going into now. And they are worth going. We just don't have time and space right. to do it. Um, but you made a statement at the end where, and I think, I think it resonates with a lot of us that the American church is not, as churches, people, societies in all eras have done, failed on certain things mm-hmm. when it comes to race. Uh, one of the statements you made at the end was that the world does do a lot of good things on this. And it might be that the church just has not taken leadership. And it almost sounded to me like there was a quantitative difference, like the church has done lesser. If we had only done more the way the world was doing it, we'd be ahead. Is that, is that what you meant to say in that statement? 
uh, no. Um, okay. So <laughs> maybe I misheard well, it. I no, I, I think I, I was just pulling up here my um, my manuscript, and yeah, I, I talk about the profound implications that this celebration has for our life as a church family. Uh, that if we are if we are indeed a a gathering in a community of healing and restoration and celebration then are we living that out and expressing it physically within our own family or, mm. or, or little corner here as a congregation? And, and when I was talking about um, what I was trying to communicate was that it is the church that has been given this feast that transforms us. Mm. Um, and so whatever good, whatever, um, whatever good motives our society or our current culture would have with uh, racial reconciliation um, or, or impulses towards that, all of that is a good impulse, but it's the church that's been given the feast that mm -hmm. transforms. Mm -hmm. And so by virtue of that fact, because we are the people of real and whole and organic and thoroughgoing forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration, my concern is whatever our society has to offer, how, without judging the intentions of it, which you could sure. judge intentions, right? Sure, There's a, sure. That's worth doing at some level, but, but at this moment, without doing any of that, the best that they'll have to offer, I would imagine, and, and we can debate about this, but I would imagine that the best that they have to offer is a new kind of deviance from right. restoration and reconciliation and, and forgiveness because that is found in what God has done in history in Jesus. And the relationship, I mentioned that the relationship of the Trinity uh, with itself, that loving and sacrificing and self-giving, Father, Son, Son, Spirit, Spirit, Father, that interrelationship of, of uh, love and being that grounds all of reality. And now I've just opened up a whole new deep maybe a podcast at some point in the future yeah, no, no. about the Trinity as the ground of all reality. And I'd love mm -hmm. to talk about that, but we'd have to get somebody smarter to help carry the conversation. <laughs> Sorry, but, I couldn't um, do that. Yeah. Well, no, there's so much out there about that. That's compelling. But, um, but because that's been given to us as God's people, and because we're the ones as the church who have been invited into that relationship, whatever good is out there is what I was trying to say will never be what's actually intended for humanity. Hmm. I'm afraid that in whatever motives there are, they will not end with true humanity and real humanity. Hmm. What they'll end with is another deviant um, expression that has tried to correct something that was really wrong, no doubt about it. But if if you're giving the wrong medicine to the guy with cancer, 
um, no matter how great your intentions were, it's not going to fix what's broken. Right. And, and that's my fear. And so when I say something like the church has been silent or uh, the church is not leading the way as a family of restoration and forgiveness, that's the concern. And, 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 and like you say, it's not that my concern isn't that we get out there and prove everybody how they're wrong and how the, this theory on, on racial reconciliation is wrong. It's like, why is it that we're struggling as a, as a community and a congregation um, to put that on display and invite our brothers and sisters in? And that ought to be our... Um, that I think that ought to be one of our great responses to the stress and the strain that we have experienced mm -hmm. is not to adapt what's out there or even adopt it and adapt it, but to think very um, organically about what our community can do to become this community more and more of, 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 um, restoration and reconciliation in and among ourselves that invites others into that. And that's, so, I, yeah, because I think we're all wrestling with that to some degree or another is that we see the world saying a lot of things, volumes of things about racial issues, about social issues. And there's good reason to say those things because there are lots of actual racial and social issues, right? And exactly. So I think even the church recognizes that. But we all have this, some sneaking suspicion, some very obvious awareness of the fact that what the world's trying to do is not ultimately redemptive. And, and, and so you get in this really awkward space where you want to criticize the world for doing it. At the same time, go, yeah, but they're actually saying something about it. It seems like it's a hard space to navigate. And, yeah. you know, if you're saying that what the church does about these things is qualitatively different, is good, does not omit the fact that the church has also failed to act at times, right? So right. maybe maybe this is, and you, you've said this before, maybe this is a podcast for another time, and I'd actually like us to yeah. think in that direction. Maybe we ought to just take another podcast to just right. outside the sermon series, just talk about issues like that. Because I, yeah. I think for our people, what, what struck me about your comment is I don't know that we have a good vocabulary for mm -hmm. how to address the problem you raised. The church yeah. has been silent, but the world as loud as it's been is not helping yeah. But yet they're at least pointing the finger at it. So right. without another podcast or how do we, yeah. How yeah, do we because, navigate this? Uh, yeah, because I think what happens is, um, well, yeah, we got to have another podcast. <laughs> so, Fine. Done. Yeah, we can do that, right? Two, yep. two guys who we have the technology. Shut up. Yeah, that's right. Two guys that won't shut up. That's what the world needs. Yeah, two more exactly. people won't shut up. Yeah, but um, one of the things, and, and this is sort of a side one of the things that I'm concerned is I come at this as a pastor of a particular people in a particular place at a particular time. Mm -hmm. And I am so grateful for that because otherwise I would be overwhelmed and not know. <laughs> and I, I would just be lost if I thought I had to answer all of the great questions that are out there mm -hmm. in society. Like I, what, what helps me take, put one miserable foot in front of the other in difficult situations is to say my calling is to our people in our place in our time and and so that allows us to think very specifically about our own community uh, but uh, 
so with, with that as a background, yeah, I think what we want to say is we, we do know that there has been great harm done in history. Um, you know, why, why is there a, a segregated church today? Um, where, where are the roots of that? Um, you know, and I, I'm not saying I have all the answers on that, but that, th those are worth those are questions that are worth talking about. Um, where does this come from? Where have we been silent? Where have we, yeah, all of those things within the context of our community, I think is a really helpful place to root those discussions because now we're not just talking grand theories. We're talking about our own congregation and our own, our own people in this place. But um, what we don't want to do is remain silent as if two things. First of all, that the scripture, remain silent and give the impression that the church has nothing to say, that our congregation has nothing to say, and that um, there's nothing wrong. There, there, there's never been anything wrong. Our, our silence just means that, oh yeah, we're, we've done exactly what we always ought to have done and we're gonna to continue to do uh, what, we, what we're doing um, without any regard, none of that means anything. But the, but the second thing is, is that um, if we remain silent, then there's a sense in which others might hear that as, well, yeah, the, we have to go to the loudest voice in society or in our culture and they're the ones who are getting it right. And, and I think we have, to, we have to have that discussion together as a family to work through these things. And as you said, give ourselves a vocabulary mm -hmm. that is deeply informed by scripture. Um, and, and so we're wrestling with these things because it's not as if this is a new issue. Um, right. The church has wrestled through this in history yeah. and sometimes they've done good and sometimes they've <laughs> not done so well. And that's important but, to hear because I think the what the world seems to be saying, which could be very loud, is that there's obvious simple solutions and you're just not willing to take them. And I think there's a naivety there that's really dangerous, which on our other podcast, I'd like to talk more about, because I think mm -hmm. the world has been very passionate about answering social justice issues. And almost every time they've gotten passionate about, they've created more problems than they have solutions. Mm -hmm. like, to your point, is not meant that they haven't intended well. And I, I respect the people that have, but the disasters are really even hard to calculate. And so I, I think it it forces us to say, okay, these are complicated issues that we can't be silent on mm -hmm. and we can't ignore, but we ought not be naive enough to think we can solve. Right. One of, the guy that was speaking for me in chapel this morning um, at LBC was talking about suffering and perseverance. And he made this wonderful statement when he said, you know, Jesus healed a lot of sick people, but he didn't stop disease. Mm -hmm. and, and I think what our culture is interested in stopping disease. Mm -hmm. And I, I think in some sense, that's, that's not only naive, that could be downright dangerous. Um, yeah. And I think the church has got to find another way to say, we are going to, we are going to be there for sick people. And we are going to try to do that and, and give ourselves in suffering to that as often as we can, but we are not going to promise that's, that's kingdom of God stuff. That's not meant to happen here. And I think, like I said, we just need a vocabulary for how we navigate that to give our people yeah. confidence that yeah. following the gospel is the right thing in this culture, even yeah. if it's not going to meet our culture's expectations, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And, and I, and I think important thing to follow up on that with is that, Let's take, for instance, Jesus's statement, the poor you have always with you. Yeah. 
What Jesus didn't mean by that was, well, you know what? Don't worry about the poor because they're always going to be around. I guess you could take it that way. But I think what he's saying in those moments is, is that you better figure out how to deal with this because this is not going away anytime soon. Like this is a part of the brokenness that we find in the world. Right. And I wonder if there's a sense in which um, maybe, maybe this is what you're getting at is part of what you hear in society is we want to end poverty or we want to end racism or we want to end this and we all want that and that is a deep longing of the church mm-hmm. but what we're saying is in, let's let's talk about what it looks like to live faithfully in a world that is under brokenness that continues to produce no matter how good and how sophisticated we get it continues to produce monsters. I mean, if you right, think right, about right. if you think about um, what's going on with uh, the let's say the ha- the the Me Too movement that we have seen uh, broadly in our culture, mm. like thanks be to God that sexual predators are being exposed. Like that that's a good thing. But if we think that we are going to end that without um, changing some very fundamental other areas of our culture in the way that women are objectified, or I, uh, okay, so now I've wandered way off the res, uh, where 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 we need to be talking. But I'm just saying, if we if we don't learn to live and to speak within the brokenness of our world, the gospel to all of these areas, whether it's racism, whether it's poverty, whether it's, um, you know, sexual oppression or, or, or pornography, slavery, all these sorts of things that are real issues in our world. If our approach is always, we've got to end them. I don't know. I I want to have that conversation. Does I think that that's make an sense? important. No, it is a very it's a very important one because I think and it's important for people and just the church in general because I think when the church in the West it gets rightly aggravated at our failures, we can very easily tip into some sort of secular messianism that boy, if we just get the right policy or blame the right people, we can actually fix this. Is to ignore what Scripture said about humanity ever since the beginning that taking the apple was not a, just a poor judgment on Eve and then Adam's fault, but ultimately doing that. Has, has burdened us with what Paul, I think, is grappling with in Romans 7, which is a, a sin that contaminates the very heart and mm. all of these things. And I think yeah. if I want to go back, if I can tie back into what you're saying, is that as much as redemption fixes the community by first fixing or addressing the sin in the human heart and the love of God, mm. ultimately, these things cannot be solved unless God has that, does that work, which he's not promised to do until the eternity. And so, like you yeah. say, it's, it's, and again, I think we ought to address it another time because there's a lot to say about we ought to be busy. We ought to be working while, while the master is away. We ought to be tending the yeah. garden and the vineyard. But our expectations are really important in all that. And I think if we get them wrong, we end up in a really dark place as a culture and a community. Well, and I think what if, um, 
Okay. Yeah. I keep trying to have that conversation on, on this podcast, but <laughs> I, I, I do think there's a sense in which you could actually trivialize how deep and how systemic our brokenness is by approaching this as we're going to end this with this policy or that policy. And so if we don't have this, and, and, and this is what the church has, is this real and deep view of how tragically broken humanity really is. Mm. And that it is the church and it is the gospel that says our only hope is the recreating and restoring and reconciling love of God in Jesus as a, as a true human. And like the incarnation means something in all of this conversation. The church as a community of people who have embraced the incarnation means something in all of this dialogue. But yeah, you, it, it doesn't mean that we're just, well, we're, we're resigned to live in a world filled with this, that, and the other. That, right. That's not what it's saying. But if you don't take the depth of it seriously and you don't take your time to work through the depths of it, you're going to be left with simple solutions that actually and that, create and that more problems. something that you had said during your sermon, which I thought, and I, I, I'm not sure I'm unpacking this properly, but I, I think the the idea that the restoration of the son was for the son and for his redemption, but that the story was really a story not about the son. It was for the son so that he was redeemed, but this was really about the mm. lavishness of our gift-giving father. And I, I wonder if a lot of what our culture is struggling with is they think it's not only for our people, it's about us. Yeah. They're not realize that even though salvation is for us, really ultimately this is about God and his grace and his love and his magnanimity and his self-sacrifice and his suffering on our behalf. Um, is that, is that a fair, fair thing to say that, that may recenter the way we think about these things? Yeah. And, and that primarily jumped out at me as I thought about the sort of people that the father at the end of verse 24 commands to celebrate and why he commands them to celebrate. Um, mm -hmm. So it's so fascinating to me that, the father doesn't regard necessarily all of the individual hurts that people in the community have experienced. Uh, but what he says is, my love has brought a son who is dead and made him alive. My love, my seeking, if you follow, if this is really not its own parable, but part of the other two parables. It has been my initiative that has gone out seeking the sheep and, and finding the coin and, and bringing a son who was lost and making him found. Do you see that this is about my love for you? This is not just about the father's, it, it's about the father's love. It's not, the focus isn't on the son and celebrating his glorious conversion and him having this body tale of prostitutes and now resunned again but it's about the father's consistent seeking and bringing everyone who was meant to be in his house underneath that roof in a relationship of love and 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 reconciliation and that's what they began to celebrate with him because there's no way that in that moment people aren't still experiencing what we'll see after easter the elder brother mm. experiencing mm. And that's really that's really helpful. I, I think as as Christians, what we offer is not, um, you know, temporal justice as much as 
a cosmic perspective on God's mercy. And I, I you know, the older I get, I, I really think that the world, as much as it can do retribution really, really well, um, mm-hmm. and it has, mm-hmm. um, and, and will, it just cannot yeah. do redemption. It just does not mm-hmm. know what to do with redemption. Because if you don't have the Father's love, which is a cosmic reality, an eternal reality in mind, it just seems like all you're left with is you've got to solve it here and now and beat up on the bad guys. And so it's a nice superhero movie, but it doesn't really lead to mm. the kind of yeah. cultural development and relational and communal construction that happens when you actually accept redemption. Yeah. And it, did, and it, and it really does come back to what it is that we're celebrating. What, what is it as a community that we're celebrating? And I think that's a great question that we have to ask mm-hmm. ourselves. Mm-hmm. Are we celebrating our morality are and and i think there's ways in which we ought to give thanks for what the father's love does in a community that it, sure, it sure. raises it from the dust heap and it and it and it, it does do all of that but if that's actually what you're raising your glass to is 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 that aspect of it then you have actually missed what the what the headline is hmm. and that's hmm. the father's love that is not just recreating your little community, but this is what I'm doing in all of the world until the knowledge and love of God covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. Hmm. That's beautiful. It's so powerful. It is so powerful. It's so redeeming and it's so rejuvenating. And um, I'm appreciating the fact that you've used this parable to pull that stuff apart. I'm I think what we'll do is we'll we'll set something up, you and I, and uh, I don't know where Keith will, will log it, but we'll try to start some of these other conversations because I think you tied into something and sort of point us in the direction of the church. It would be helpful for us to unpack yeah. and think through, uh, and we'll get that started. But, um, but thank you for this. I look forward to Easter and just celebrating the resurrection and then coming back to this afterwards. So, thank you, again, Dan. Thank you, Pastor Luke. Friends, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. You can learn more about our church and discover additional resources on our website, wheatlandpca.org.